Welcome to the Build My Online Store podcast, where we discuss everything and anything about running an online store. If you like the podcast, sign up for the mailing list to get news and updates at buildmyonlinestore.com. And now, here's your host, Terry Lynn. Welcome to episode 37 of the Build My Online podcast. I'm your host, Terry. And this week, I've got Frank Lavin, founder of Export Now, where he helps U.S. and overseas companies export their products into China to sell them online in the domestic e-commerce market. All right, and so before we start, I wanted to share something that I read in a new book recently by MJ DeMarco. I'll tell you the book name later. But inside, there's a portion where he talks about events versus processes. And so if you think about it, in today's world, we live in a society of instant gratification, right? We celebrate people that win the lottery, uh, the singer that gets chosen on American Idol, uh, the guy that loses 200 pounds on TV, uh, guys like Mark Zuckerberg who become billionaires before they turn 30. And so these things are just all events. And the real story is not the event, it's actually the process and the hard work behind that made those events more likely. And so, except for a very few people, uh, wealth and building a successful business uh, is actually a process, not an event. And so, but the event is all we see. And so, you know, when you have a business idea, that's an event. If you don't act on it and execute it on the process, you'll never have anything. And so sometimes you'll hear people or friends say, oh, I've had this business idea to do X, Y, and Z, and or someone else does it. And you say, oh, I had that idea, I had that idea years ago, or uh, I have this idea that's worth millions. But this is all meaningless because it doesn't mean anything. If you skip the process, you won't get to the events. And so any idea worth its salt is worth it with the execution and process. So it's not the idea that's important for any business, it's really the process. And so processes don't happen in just one or two weeks of work too. These things can take months and years. And so, for example, if you take this podcast, uh, last month in February, we had 11,000 downloads just in the month alone. But well, that's just the event. But the process actually started eight to nine months ago, where our first month only had 300. And we just slowly started spreading the word, building up the audience and continuing to build the trust with the audience where we give valuable business advice to anyone that wants to start an online store. But no one really sees that process every week. And so it's also like when you go to the movies, you think about how much work went in to create a two hour features. So when you see someone successful on the news or TV, or you hear anything that sounds like an event, always try to think about the process uh, behind that event. And you're just seeing the tip of the iceberg, but what's important is underneath. Uh, so the book I'm talking about is called The Millionaire Fast Lane by MJ DeMarco. Now, the title sounds a little bit cheesy, but it's more of a mindset book rather than anything about making money or investing. So I'll link to it in the show notes. And if you're also looking for a place to share your processes, ideas, and network with other e-commerce entrepreneurs to grow your business, uh, check out the website, buildmyonlinestore.com and click on the join the forums link. So we'll be launching a private membership forum later for the listeners of the show. So if you're interested in that, sign up there and I'll keep you posted on the launch date and how to join. So let's get into this week's episode. All right, today I have Frank Lavin, founder of Export Now on the show. And just to give everyone a brief background on Frank. As Undersecretary of Commerce for National Trade, Frank headed the International Trade Administration for the U.S. Department of Commerce. And from 2001 to 2005, he was also the U.S. Ambassador to Singapore. So today, we're going to talk about how to import your products to China and what's it like to sell it online. So welcome to the show, Frank. Sure. Thanks, Terry. Thanks for having me on. My name is Frank Lavin, and my company is Export Now, or exportnow.com, one word, uh, 
And what we do is we help uh, companies all around the world use China's e-commerce platform. And China has, uh, Terry, as you suggested, the most uh, robust and the most extensive e-commerce ecosystem in the world. But for a lot of people who aren't based in China, it's it's not always accessible. It's not easy to run an e-commerce platform if you're based in the United States or elsewhere. So we bridge that gap for companies. And so how did you get the idea for Export Now? Exactly what I just described in the sense that China is the home of Alibaba, uh, and Alibaba runs two mammoth e-commerce platforms in China, Taobao and Tmall. These are both open platforms, but if you're a foreigner, uh, how are you going to run customs clearance? How are you going to run warehouse operations? How are you going to work on Chinese web design and so forth? How are you going to do fulfillment? There's just a hundred questions that might be reasonably simple if you were in country to go ahead and sort through. But if you're based in the U.S. or Australia, it's a bit of a, it's a, bit of a hop to say, I'm going to run to China and set up warehouse operations, even if your sales are pretty modest. So, uh, so it really makes it prohibitive for most foreign companies. So I saw that need. Foreign companies want access to the Chinese market. They love the e-commerce activity in China. But uh, unless you have some troops on the ground, you really can't take advantage of it. So we provide those troops on the ground. Interesting. So Tmall and Taobao, for our audience, who doesn't know, are those like the Amazons of China, or what's the platform like there? Yeah, yeah. these are both owned by the Alibaba Group. They're both Chinese-language platforms. You can, you can look them up online. You'll see they're both designed for the mainland Chinese audience. Taobao was first, and it is an open platform. It is a C2C platform, maybe a little bit like eBay in the United States, meaning anybody can post anything. So uh, the, the good news with that is it's pretty inclusive, pretty broad. Uh, anybody in China can find uh, something in their attic, so to speak, and put it up online and sell it. Uh, so it's got an enormous range of uh, products for sale. The, the bad news, if you will, with an open platform like Taobao is that there's not necessarily product integrity, that you don't necessarily know where those products came from. So, so Alibaba Group started another platform called Tmall, in which is only B2C. So the only companies that may sell on Tmall are the original manufacturers or official uh, uh, licensed agents. So, so to speak, so Terry, if you go on Taobao and you type in Levi's, you will get dozens of pages of hits of people selling Levi's. If you go to Tmall and you type in Levi's, you go to the official Levi's store. Because Tmall is the official site, the official stores, everything on Tmall is cross-listed on Taobao, but not the other way around. So if you go on Taobao, type in Levi's, you'll get dozens of pages of hits, but they'll have a little box that says, if you want the official Levi's store, it's here on Tmall. So, so it's all, you're always cross-listed uh, one way from Tmall to Taobao. So on Tmall, not surprisingly, are the big stores and the big brands, Nike, Sony, Levi's, Apple, Disney, and so forth on Tmall. And I would encourage readers uh, to go to tmall.com, that's just five letters, T-M-A-L-L.com, and look around. It's all in Chinese, as I mentioned, but the search window takes English as well. So you can literally type in uh, Levi's or type in Jack Daniels or Chateau Lafitte or Mercedes-Benz or whatever you want and see what comes up. Mm -hmm. And so what's the market share for Tmall and Tmall and Taobao in China? Uh, just over 50% of the B2C marketplace. Uh, Tmall has something like 57%, and, that, and that's combined with both, both, both platforms. So it's, it's huge. And here's the interesting point. The number, it's not just market share, it's just how big the e-commerce market is in China. The number of registered customers on that Tmall platform is 500 million. 100 million daily views. 
So if your product works in your home market, we say this frequently to Americans and we work with a lot of Europeans as well, but if your product works in your home market, you've got very good odds that it will work in China. It's the law of large numbers, meaning you won't necessarily have the same penetration or the exact same uh, uh, share and so forth of the market, depending on purchasing power, cultural differences, and so forth. But with 500 million people online, the odds are very strong you're going to get something. And, and this ties back, Terry, to the magic of e-commerce, because e-commerce doesn't really require capital expenditure. It doesn't require extra personnel. It's been done very, very inexpensively. It's now the, the simplest and fastest and least expensive way for foreign companies to enter China. They can now sell into China without having to open up China operations, without having to hire people in China, without even having to go to China. They can just use e-commerce as a way to start that toe-in-the-water activity get a sense of the market, experiment with different prices and experiment with different product uh, slates and combinations and so forth. So e-commerce lets you do that very, very inexpensively, start to generate revenue and then build out other channels. You, you don't really have your own dot-com, but it seems that you can still control a lot of the elements of your own store, right? Correct. Right. That's why if you, if for example, Nike has its flagship store in China on T-Mall. Nike owns, if you will, the, the, the content, the look, the feel, and it looks like any Nike branded store. It's 100% Nike product. It's just on the Tmall platform. So Tmall drives the, the eyeballs, if you will, but, but Nike owns the web page. Tmall also controls the payment mechanism. And this is something enormously helpful to American merchants or, or third country merchants, which is always the question of payment and credit and so forth, right? You're selling something in China and you, your, your question logically enough is, well, how do I get paid? It's on the Tmall platform. All transactions are paid for at the time of transaction. So there's no credit extended. You don't have to chase people down. You, have to, you don't have to worry about credit exposure and non-performing loans. Uh, so, so we collect renminbi uh, from the customer, the Chinese customer, and we remit back to the U.S. supplier, U.S. dollars or uh, appropriate for whatever country, pounds, sterling, or euros, or whatever the, 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 the supplier wants. Here, here's though, the, let me tell you something. The Chinese customers also protected because the Chinese customer, by virtue of the Tmall platform, has the right to return the product for seven days. So the customer is protected. We think this is enormously helpful to the merchant because most of the merchants we work with are relatively new brands in China. They don't necessarily have a lot of depth or length of time on the ground. So the Chinese customer's got to be a little experimental to say, I'm going to try this American product. But when you tell them, by the way, if you don't like it, you have a seven-day return policy, it's enormously helpful in making that transaction ahead. But, but one final point on that topic is the merchant is also protected because the merchant uh, only refunds the money if the customer returns the product physically to, to us in Shanghai, meaning they can't simply just send an email saying, I didn't like your product. They have to send it back to us and we refund the money. Oh, so, so you don't just get the system. It doesn't get gamed, right? Because that that's what I was going to ask. <laughs> Can't game it. Can't game it. And uh, and what we found, we've been selling in China now for just over a year. What we found is about one or two percent returns. So very consistent with U.S. numbers. Oh, that's interesting. So, is Tmall popular because people won't really trust a random .dot com in China, or what's kind of the scenario there? Yes, I think you're right. That um, if Tmall says the only products you can buy on Tmall are the official products, the authentic products from the original manufacturer 
or their licensed agent. That's a very powerful statement because one of the ongoing challenges in China is intellectual property protection, that you have fakes, you have knockoffs, and, and other kind of permutations. And some of them are very clever. They might look very, very similar to the original product, but the quality just won't be there. So it does make it difficult for the consumer. If the consumer says, look, I really, I really do want a pair of Levi's, and I don't mind paying a sort of a U.S. price for a great pair of jeans, uh, they can go to the T-Mall store and they're going to the official Levi store and that Chinese consumer is buying the same quality Levi's that any American consumer gets. So it's a, it's a real help to the consumer and, of course, it's helped to Levi's as well. It maintains their brand integrity and protects the value of that brand. Yeah, and it takes care of the whole knockoff in the market exactly. thing too. Yeah, exactly. exactly. You're going right to the store. So, And that's what we tell uh, co- companies we serve is that we only sell on T-Mall, so every single consumer knows that they're buying the authentic product. So we sell great products like sun-made raisins, we sell Tabasco sauce, we sell NFL footballs. I mean, these are fabulous brands, but in China sometimes they're somewhat niche brands or boutique brands, not necessarily with as broad appeal in China they have in the United States, but these brands do very well in China. We're very proud to work with these terrific companies and that bring wonderful products to Chinese consumers. Uh-huh. And so do you see Tmall still dominating the e-commerce market in the years to come? Because in the U.S., I think Amazon and eBay, 10 years ago, they were the giants. But now you have all these dot-coms where anyone just kind of kind of start a store. Right? Do you kind of see that trending that way too? Or do you see it, uh, Tmall holding its uh, position? I, I Tmall holding its own because there's simply not as much brand history in China as there is in the United States. But let me... Let me uh, qualify that a bit, Terry, because I think you're on an interesting point. I think what we'll see, we see a pattern in the United States where somebody might sell a lot on eBay, but then they have their own independent off-eBay e-commerce store, right? And so as they try to always convert customers from eBay to their own store because then they get a slightly higher margin. So you can see that kind of pattern on Tmall as well, that people are very happy to sell on Tmall because Tmall has those 500 million uh, customers. But as they're getting repeat customers and ongoing customers, they want to also try to move those customers to other kind of websites where they can get a slightly higher margin. So I, I think you'll see that pattern in China as well. Interesting. And so you also see in the past couple of years the rise of the Chinese consumer. Like you hear these kind of urban legends of these rich Chinese tourists going to like New York and buying $40,000 worth of shoes or going to Singapore with the backpacks of cash and buying apartments. So, and do you see this trend going on on Tmall.com where you have really, really premium products that are selling really well? Well, ours, first of all, you do have premium products for sale online. You can go online on Tmall and you can see a Cartier store, a Tiffany store and so forth. There are upper end products on sale. Our sweet spot on our stores would sell is usually in the U.S. price range of between $10 and $50. So, so much more middle market. You might call that mass premium in the sense that even 10 or $50 for a lot of people in China is, is an upper-end product. But it's, not a, it's certainly not a luxury product. It's not, it's not Cartier or Tiffany's. What, what we try to do is talk with American companies and companies around the world that have terrific brands, terrific products, uh, but just don't have China distribution. And they cannot devote the time and effort to renting a warehouse in China, hiring somebody in China, incorporating in China. So, so companies sign up with us at exportnow.com. They sign up with us uh, that we work together and decide on what kind of products, which, which SKUs they're going to bring in and so forth, how much is going to be provided for. And then we offer a set of circumstances that help that company sell in China. 
We do international logistics, bring the product into China. We have warehouse operations. We'll do customs clearance and compliance if it needs to be tested. If it's a regulated product like food or cosmetics, uh, we'll label it in Chinese. We'll do all the web page design. We basically take the person's home market web page. We use their photos, their typeface, their videos, and so forth. We put it into Chinese, put it up on Tmall. Then we do all the transactions, all the customer contact CRM work. We do last mile delivery. And any advertising or social media activity that company wants in China, we'll do that as well. Again, we basically build that off of their U.S. web activity, U.S. ad campaign, and so forth. So it's basically a replication of the U.S. or the home market e-commerce activity in China. But we do this all for them turnkey. So the company doesn't have to go to China, doesn't have to hire anybody in China, doesn't have to incorporate in China. Anybody who's got a going operation in the United States says, I can make, we can replicate that for them in China. And what we found, Terry, is we typically will reach between 10 and 25% of U.S. e-commerce sales of that product in China, right? So whatever you're, whatever you're doing in the U.S., if you're doing $3 million of sales, we'll typically be able to find 10 to 25% of that number for you in China. Is there, and is there a minimum volume amount to work with Export Now? We're willing to experiment with anybody, right? Our view is we, we are an open platform. We're a, we're a platform in the platform, right? We're an open platform on Tmall. So we always want to try to say yes to people, but you're right. There's got to be a threshold of activity to make it worth anybody's while. We don't want to waste great companies' time. So we don't want to waste our time. So we have to have a discussion up front about is this the right kind of fit? So we do look for that background, such as if you've said you've been selling online in the U.S., that's a, that's a very strong statement. If that's been successful, we feel very good that'll be successful in China. The other thing we look for is we need to have some kind of advertising commitment in China, meaning in your home market, you have some brand awareness, some identity, a customer base, people know who you are, and you're going to get a natural flow uh, through e-commerce. But in a new market, you might not have any distribution at all except online. You might not be very well known at all. So unless you do a little bit of advertising behind it, uh, it just might not be worthwhile. We, we ask everybody to start, think about $1,000 a month, $2,000 a month, meaning it doesn't have to be very expensive. It doesn't have to be a huge buy. I mean, the good news is this, Terry, we're only selling online, so we only advertise online, right? And we, we're not talking about television ads or, or newspaper ads. We're only talking about sort of uh, uh, keyword search-driven ads, right? A little bit like Google AdWords, but the Chinese variant of that. So if you're selling a tennis racket, we can come up with a keyword search-driven ad so that any time a Chinese consumer is looking for tennis or sports or whatever your keyword is, uh, your tennis racket ad pops up. And so, because I have a friend who's the sales manager, I think she's been doing it 10 years for a winery in California. So, you know, if, if we just use her as a case study, because she's asked me, you know, how do I get into China? So I'm like, where do we even start? Kind of, if, the, if we just have this idea. Ter Terry, I've got to tell you something. Food and wine is our single biggest segment. I'm not sure if that's by accident or if that shows where the market is, but it so happens that we're doing extremely well in that segment. What we do is talk to her. We would literally take the wine from California into our warehouse in Shanghai. We put it up on the web, the different labels, photos. And again, if she has videos, we put that in there and anything else she wants to do. And then I would suggest, uh, depending how big she wants to go into China, start with a modest ad campaign of $1,000 or $2,000 or so a month just to see what's going on. And we build it around basically the U.S. themes, the emotional content and the imagery and so forth from the U.S. So we're really kind of replicating that U.S. marketing effort in China, and that and that gets the market going. So that it's uh, pretty straightforward. 
we uh, we are now supporting about a hundred different brands in China doing this. About two thirds of which are being sold right now on our website right now. About fifty of which are uh, in our pipeline. Will be coming out in the next month or so. Yeah, like I saw sun made raisins. I'm kind of surprised. Uh they would actually eat that in China because it's a very kind of American type of snack, I guess. So Yeah, here's the interesting thing. We're thinking, of course, there are raisins in China that are less expensive than Sunmade. So Sunmade's sort of a premium product. And if you look at it in percentage terms, my guess the cost of a box of Sunmade raisins is 100% above the local uh, local group of raisins. Uh, but if you look at it in, in dollar terms, it might, that might only be $2 or $3 more. So it's an affordable premium, meaning it's a little bit like Starbucks coffee. You know, definitely is a lot more expensive than uh, a lot of ordinary coffee, but it's not, uh, it's, it's a dollar more, two dollars more a cup, so it's not an outrageous leap up. I think what that tells you, Terry, is that a box of raisins might be an acceptable gift in China, a house gift, if it's a premium product or something for a kid, a little gift, a snack or something for a kid. So it's uh, it's just a nice, uh, inexpensive product. Uh, premium product yeah i've heard uh was that um baby milk powder is really big in china now like there's people carrying loads and cans of these from asia when they go on vacation because apparently it's really hard to find good quality kind of powdered milk there yeah well i think i think one of the reasons food and wine is our largest segment is precisely that point that when you have food and wine products you're selling you're also playing into any kind of health or safety concerns right it's labeling issues and so forth so again, if everything we're selling on Tmall is the authentic product, you're buying some of the finest products in the world. That isn't always the case when you buy in a traditional distribution shop. You're not sure if it's a pirated good, if it's a knockoff, somebody's just copied the packaging, and so forth. So that that's the starting point. And you're particularly right on powdered milk, Terry, because remember, China has this one-child policy. So parents are very willing to pay that extra differential for their kids' safety, right? They're, they're not going to monkey around with that. And so uh, the, the powdered milk company, the baby food companies do very well. Yeah, because I had a friend who's also doing this from Australia too, and she was wondering, you know, should she use Tmall, Taobao, or she has her own site, and kind of she is kind of like just figuring this out too. So Yeah, I would tell anybody to start with Tmall. And it's, and it's worth paying a little bit of a fee, so to speak, for the Tmall fee to get 500 million uh, tractors. And if, if the well-established brands like Levi's and, and Apple and uh, Nike are on Tmall, uh, that tells me that a less well-established brand really ought to be there as well. Yeah, exactly. And so what are some differences you've seen between the Chinese online consumer versus the American one? Well, I'll tell you one difference that kind of surprised me is that the Chinese consumer is much more oriented toward uh, customer contact activity than the American consumer. The American consumer will go on and buy and I think something like less than 10% of American consumers have a question or want a discussion about that purchase. But in China, it's about 50%. So they'll see something posted, and they'll ask a question about it. It might be very, I mean, it's not a, not a detailed or technical question necessarily. They might just say, can I have this delivered by Tuesday? Or does it also come in blue or something like that, right? But that is very, very common in China. So we need to train up a CRM team for every product we post. Mm-hmm. And so do you handle the customer service on behalf of the clients or how does that work do all customer contact work we will train the team up specifically so you come to us from the united states and you say i make a a range of lipstick products i have three different brands 40 different colors and so forth so we'd say great We, we love it we'll put it up online for you we will talk to your crm team in the united states and we'll talk to them about what are the more frequent questions you get what do you respond can you write this down can you train our and then we will train our 
people up. So we, our starting point is typically built around the U.S. questions, but we do a lot of information sharing. So the point is, by the end of the first week or two, we know what all the questions are. We know what the standard responses are, and the consumer in China is getting every bit as good a quality service and response from us as the consumer in the United States gets. I see, I see. And so kind of this is like an extrapolation question down the road. So what if one day, like a company Nike that says, hey, we want to run our own logistics, warehousing, customer service on the ground in China. Like, is there, is, would, it, would, it cost in, would it cost so much and be so much trouble that it's not worth it? Or? By the way, my guess is Nike does all of that now, but Nike still has their main store on Tmall. But my guess is Nike does all of its own logistics and it does its own customer contact work now, but it just sells through Tmall. So Nike doesn't use us, but Nike does use Tmall. But we could have, I mean, if a company starts with us, you're, you're, you know, you're Terry Lin, you're, you've got this great cosmetic company, you're selling lipstick through us to Chinese consumers, and after a few years it bubbles up to quite a fair amount of money, uh, you might just call us up one day and say, Frank, uh, we love you, but we're, gonna, we're going to run it ourselves from here on in. And so we can have out migration that takes place from service providers, uh, and, and that's okay. I mean, because that, to my mind, that tells me that we've been successful and we've helped you, and we've got to just focus on getting more people on board. Our target market, uh, Terry, is to help a company sell a million dollars a year in China. But I think once they get up to about $10 million a year, they might think about migrating out. And then it starts to become more and more worthwhile that they do it internally. But, you know, every company is different. Companies that have e-commerce as a main global activity will eventually want to take e-commerce back in-house. But companies that say e-commerce is interesting and, and useful, but it's not really what we do, I, I don't think they ever look to bring those in-house. For, I'll give you one example. is one group we work with is NFL. We work with the National Football League. Oh, wow. So we sell NFL products, NFL footballs and other products online in China. But they watch football in China? I'm, I'm surprised. I thought it was basketball was the biggest one. Football is probably not as big as U.S. basketball in China, but it is. So, the games are shown on TV. China has its own sort of Twitter variant called Sina Weibo. NFL has about 180,000 followers on Sina Weibo. So there are definitely followers who follow the game, so good for them. And now they've got some NFL, official NFL supplies that they can play around with and follow the game with as well. So uh, that, But that's a great example of a terrific brand, really neat products. But the, but the NFL itself is not primarily an e-commerce company, right? It's primarily a, a, a sports event production and television rights company. Uh, so my guess is even if those numbers could go up quite considerably, NFL is not interested in taking it in-house. I see. So, so if I'm getting this right, it's basically kind of like guys like the NFL who have a big brand but don't necessarily focus on e-commerce. And the other segment, you have kind of like the mid to large size business but not necessarily multinational that really could use some extra market. Uh, through China, right? What, what we say is we are looking for great companies that want great distribution. And so the United States, for example, is full of companies that might have a few hundred million dollars in sales, up to a few billion dollars in sales, really great products, terrific customer base in the U.S., but they just don't have necessarily huge international distribution capabilities. But what we offer them because of e-commerce is to say, look, you can start in China very inexpensively. You can start in China for a few thousand dollars. I mean, for less than a plane ticket to China, you can now start selling in China. By the way, in that sense, Terry, it's no different than asking the question about whether or not you should go online in your home market. And I think every single retailer in, in their home market would say, well, of course we're online. I mean, and they, and they would say something like 5 or 10% of our customers find us and buy from us online. So we're very happy to be there. 
so we'd say, well, gosh, let's go online and in a new market as well. Yeah, but I think the gap for a lot of people is that how do you even get into China, right? And then they need to find someone like you who actually is doing this kind of for them. And that's that's exactly the point. Because look, it, it is certainly navigable. You can certainly any company can find its way to get into China. But the the hurdle there is cost benefit analysis. Because if you're back to the Terry Lynn. Uh, company, if you're a $500 million company making cosmetics, and you say, gosh, we probably could sell a million dollars online in China, but you can't, you can't have your $500 million management team focus on a $1 million problem, right? You, you, can't, you can't send people to Shanghai for three weeks to figure out warehouse operations if you say, well, the whole upside is only a million dollars anyhow. So, so it's really a stumbling block for companies because the the upside's not there. I see. So what about some companies that are already manufacturing in China? Can they just go through you guys and post it on Tmall to do the whole e-commerce end? Or should do they have to like export it and then import it back in? Or? Oh, not at all. Not at all. Uh, I mean, there's a short-run solution and a long-run solution. But the, but, the, but the simple answer is we have a platform that is agnostic as to production. For that matter, Terry, you've got American companies that do manufacturing in the U.S., but also manufacturing in Mexico or Malaysia or Germany, right? And they have a range of products that we can take from any place and sell it, and we can certainly take it from inside China and sell it. The only, my only point on long run versus short run is sometimes in the short run, what we're really trying to do is just experiment with the uh, selling of the product, get that platform up and see what's going on. So we're not trying to over-engineer this, the supply chain. So what we say in the short run, we just need some very small samples, just to get things going. As the volume grows, then it makes sense to re- reorganize your supply chain to optimize the logistics. One thing I wanted to ask about shipping. So I guess in the US now you have like same day shipping or like one day shipping, two day air, all this kind of different choices. Right? And in China, are the consumers expecting like one day delivery, two day deliveries too? Or do they understand that, you know, since it's so big that the infrastructure could be a problem? No, here's what here's what Tmall did. Tmall is Tmall pioneered same-day delivery, not next-day delivery, same-day delivery. In fact, in the United States, Amazon is now experimenting with that, right? But Tmall started, and here's what they did, because you're exactly right. It's this massive country geographically. So Tmall, at the platform level, set up warehouses around the country, uh, 14 warehouses, 14 different cities across the country. So if you're a Tmall supplier, you can stock your goods in all those warehouses. So that means it's it's a little different than the old Amazon model, which which serves every single customer from a Seattle warehouse, right? You we can fill orders from different warehouses in China, so we can probably reach about I would say over half of China same day or next day delivery. Is, how does that work with fourteen warehouses when you send the inventory to each one? Do you just kind of based off your sales and where people typically buy? You ship more here, or yeah, and, and yeah, exactly. Once you that question is a good question for when you start because you're not quite sure what to do. But over time, you see what the patterns are, right? Over time, you say, I always sell 1,000 pairs of jeans a week out of this warehouse, but I'll sell 2,000 pairs a week out of this warehouse. And, and so over time, you know what your numbers are. But, and by the way, that's not a required attribute. That's if companies put a premium on same-day delivery or rapidity of delivery. If you ship everything out of Shanghai, you'll cover most of China within three days or four days, right? You still use express services. Mm-hmm. And so I, I don't think there's a right answer for this question. So how does the taxation work then at a corporate level if I'm sending products to you guys that's being sold in China? Like, Is there like a general guideline you can yeah. talk about? Or? Very straightforward. China has a, uh, has a VAT, has a VAT, right, of 17%. So everything is marked up 17%. 
and, uh, and that, then that comes off the top. And so we have to engineer that backwards when we set up pricing. So one of our early, so if you're, again, the Terry Lynn the Cosmetics Company of the United States, and you say, this looks really interesting. I'd like to sell my products, my lipstick on your site. One of the first discussions we'll have with you is let's talk about your pricing. And let's talk about what you sell for in the United States online. And if we use that same price in China, how much would it, uh, how much would it be in taxes, how much go to logistics, Tmall, and so forth, other fees, our fee. And, and, and that, that's a very useful initial discussion to have. Our goal is to allow U.S. companies to sell in China more or less at the U.S. sales price and more or less at the, uh, they get the same margin. So they don't have to re-engineer their company. They don't have to re-engineer their, their financials. They can basically replicate what they're doing in the United States in a third country in, a, in China. Terry, think of it this way. It's sort of like saying uh, you've got the successful company in the United States that's selling a set of products, and all of a sudden somebody invents e-commerce. Jeff Bezos comes along and says, do you want to sell on Amazon? And people say, well, let's try it. And you're selling on a new platform. And Meg Whitman comes along and says, well, you know, I've got eBay. And people say, well, let's try that too. And then a lot of companies have their own proprietary web page, and they say, let's try that. And so now this company's feeling pretty good. They say, I've got my traditional distribution channels. I've got Amazon. I've got eBay. And now I've got my own web page. And all we've done is come along and say, listen, I've got a new web page. It's a Tmall web page. I'd love for you to sell on that. And the point is, the companies we work with are in that category. They've been gradually building out, gradually experimenting with these other sales channels and finding a you know, some degree of success. And so they've got an open appetite to say, if, if you're doing well on your home web page and doing well on uh, an Amazon or eBay, uh, you know, the odds are really, really good you're going to do well on Tmall. I see. So I guess Tmall is like a baby step where if a brand wanted to really, if it got big enough, if it wanted to go offline in terms of B2B wholesale, is that like a possible channel too? Yeah. And, and this is the neat thing about it because going on a Tmall and with e-commerce allows you to start that presence in the market. So now you can talk about uh, selling to distributors and wholesalers and so forth. As we say, Tmall is not just the biggest shopping mall in the world, but it's the biggest phone book in the world. It's the, it's the biggest billboard in the world. And it makes us really, really happy when, when we've got U.S. companies selling at a Tmall, and all of a sudden we get an email from them saying, hey, Frank, would you mind sending a sample set to Mr. XYZ in Chongqing? Because he's thinking of carrying our goods in the store. He said, this is great. The e-commerce side is really helping serve as the locomotive for traditional channel distribution. So it's a, it's a wonderful stepping stone, uh, you said baby step, to uh, help companies get broader marketing, broader distribution in a new mm-hmm. market. Interesting. And so we're, we've been talking about how great it is. Like, have there been any stories where things haven't worked out? Or kind of, do you have like an example well, of something? Well, yeah, not every time it bats a home run. I mean, we could say that. And sometimes it takes uh, a while to understand the product mix and the pricing and so forth. So I think you have to get into this realizing it's a toe-in-water approach and to be a little bit experimental. And so we always advise people to start with a, an array, start with an array of products slate that is a fair test. Don't just start. If you have, I mean, back to the example, if you have 40 shades of lipstick, please don't just send me two because you might find for whatever set of reasons that's culturally not the most preferred or they're very competitive in that space, but if you send me 40, then we'll we'll get uh, a, a fair sample, we'll get a fair test out of the thing. So so have a small enough test that it's it reduces your expenses, but a large enough test that it's still sort of valid and you're getting uh, 
you're getting good feedback from this. I see. So it's a test of a few thousand dollars versus setting this whole thing up on your own, importing product, going through customs, you know, getting all this website set up, and then figuring out that, oh, no one wants to buy my lipstick, right? right? And also, to your point of market entry and what works and what doesn't, one thing we always try to do, this is, again, part of our discussion with the company, one thing we always try to do is let's have a discussion. Talk to us about who your competitors are. Talk to us about reference brands or other kind of brands that might not be competitors, but at least indicate that people like what you sell. So, And, and we'll see if those companies and those activities are already out there on Tmall. So that's very, very helpful. So we were talking with, for example, a major American shoe manufacturer uh, just about a month ago. And, and that's exactly the question we put to them is tell us what other kinds of shoes brands uh, you view as sort of competition for your brand. And he said, well, you know, most of these folks are already on Tmall, and here's their web page, and here's what their price points are. So the point is there's a lot of open competitive information out there that we can look at and use as a reference. Mm-hmm. And, so, and so what if someone comes up to you and says, Frank, you know, this is very cool, but I want to try it myself. Like, what kind of timeline could they expect if someone was to do this themselves? Uh, sure, that's not, that's not a problem. And indeed, the, the big fellas, Nike, does do it by themselves. Nike stores on Tmall, but the point is they set up their own warehouse, they bring in their own product, they have their own web design team, so the big fellows don't mind doing it themselves. I think Nike has a top line in China of $3 billion, so e-commerce might be 10% of that, might be $300,000, and that's that's, uh, something that a company like that can easily do. Yeah, and I guess because they're already manufacturing there also, so there's a kind of advantage they have too, right, I guess. There's nothing we're doing, I would say in general, that a company could not do by itself. It's back to that whole example of saying if you're only chasing a million dollars in total revenue, do you really want to fly to Shanghai three times to interview warehouse operators to see which is the best partner for you? Do you really want to, if your entire web design cost in China will be $10,000 or $20,000. Do you really want to interview different ad agencies in China to see which is the best for you? I mean, this is, this is to my mind, a, a very strong example of when a company really needs to think about outsourcing and say, let's just have somebody else do this because it's just not worth the management time and the travel time to go to China and to run what is not a huge program and might only generate a million dollars in revenue. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That makes a lot of sense. Whereas you could just get started with just a few thousand just to test it out too. Exactly right. Exactly right. And, and then you can insource anything you want. I mean, our we realized that what we need to do is to set up a, a model, Terry, that's a smorgasbord model, right? So we offer six or eight kinds of services to companies. But but as you point out, some companies might say, look, I want to do this product in-house. I want to do that. I, I have. So for example, we one company we're working with uses a global advertising agency for all of its web page design. So they did want to go to that ad agency and say, please, please do our China web page. Well, that's perfectly fine with us. We don't insist on using our, our people to do it if you've got a service provider, right? But we'll do, but, but a lot of companies don't have a global ad agency that has a, has a China arm. So we'll uh, have to use, uh, have to use our, our, ourselves so they can go contract out from a third party. Obviously, they have a lot of like red tape in terms of like different teams to go through this idea. So how do you go through that uh, from export now to get through the, all these different barriers and bureaucracies within a big company? In one discussion, usually it's some kind of a, it's either an international team or an e-commerce team that we have our first discussions with that kind of have to get behind it and champion it. So we'll talk frequently with the China operations head or the international head of the company. You know, we can do a webinar, we'll do a Skype call, we'll send back and forth some PowerPoint material. So the first set of discussions is purely on a commercial basis. Does this make sense? Is this where, from a marketing perspective, is this where the company wants to go? Uh, and that usually goes pretty well. But then you're exactly right. 
we've got to sit down and talk with the financial fellows and we've got to sit down and talk with the legal fellows, right? And is this, you know, what's happened to the money? Where do you get the money back? How's it remitted and so forth? And the legal people want to review all the documents, make sure it's, it's kosher and so forth as well. That, all of that's very normal. All of that's very normal. We, 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 uh, we started slowly just over a year ago, Terry, and it took us a while to get going. But now we think what's pretty regularized, what we're doing, how it works, how the system works. So it's not, it's not extraordinarily uh, difficult for companies to come on board. As I mentioned, we have over 100 brands in the system now, so we feel pretty good about growth so far. Mm-hmm. And so you said out of those 100 brands, I think two-thirds were food and beverage. So what are some other product trends you see uh, that have some growth potential? Probably not quite two-thirds. What's interesting is we're the open platform, meaning we don't pick product for the company. It really has a lot to do with the company itself. Does it have an appetite to, uh, to sell in China? And some companies are driven by the need or the goal of international expansion. That's really what drives them. Other companies, as I mentioned a minute ago, just really love e-commerce. They say, well, we started on e-commerce a few years ago. It's really working well for us. So give us any e-commerce ideas you have. And I said, well, this, this is not a bad idea here. We can do it for you in China. So, so it, it really has a lot to do with the company's DNA rather than product that you have. But if a company's willing to just be a little forward-leaning, it can do very well in China. Actually, do you find most of your clients or companies are thinking like, you know, we need to be in China, or is it just like an afterthought that, oh, it'd be cool to be in China? I, I'll tell you, it's even. It's 50-50. Some are specifically saying, I need a China solution. Can you help me in China? But a lot of what we talk with are saying, no, I just, I'm looking for e- more e-commerce platforms. I'm looking for any good sales ideas. I'm looking for a general new market development activity. I wasn't necessarily thinking of China, but if you've got something that works, I'll do it. You know, but China, remember, China is the second largest economy in the world, second to the United States. So if you're already selling in the United States, it's your largest target market, your largest new market. So it's not a bad place to start operations. And e-commerce is so strong in China. Uh, China's GDP, China's economy is about 13% of world GDP, but China's e-commerce sales is about 20% of world e-commerce sales, right? So you can cover 20% or so of your of your sales requirement just with one success. E-commerce continues to grow and bubble up in the United States. Every Companies are increasingly aware, increasingly sophisticated about what they need to do to win in e-commerce in the United States. And I, and I dare say you will not find a a retail company, a consumer company in the United States that doesn't have some kind of e-commerce strategy going. So as that population base grows of companies that are getting it right in e-commerce in the United States, then it becomes a very logical follow-on question to say, you know, if you're hitting more and more home runs in the United States with e-commerce, you know, take a look at a new platform, right? And just think of it as one more additional channel for you and our ability to replicate your, so your message your theme, your photos, et cetera, so it has the same look and feel and value proposition as your U.S. web page, that, that opportunity is very, very high. So we, we think we're selling a very appealing uh, uh, solution to U.S. companies. Yeah, and since I, I'm sure like made in the USA products tend to have a higher premium too in China, right? That's right. That's right. Even if you're selling at the U.S. price, so even if uh, just a, a number were about, our, even if a box of raisins the U.S. sells for, $3, maybe in China it sells for $4, but that's still a much more of a premium price box of raisins. But we'll tell companies up front, you aren't necessarily going to get the same penetration in China with your product you get in the United States uh, because there's less purchasing power, so your product comes across much more in the premium space than it does in the United States. That's, that's the bad news, if you will. But the good news is the population base is four times as big 
So even if there's a drop-off in rate of penetration, you can still do extremely well. What are some of the, I guess, trends in in the China market in terms of products that I think the big guys have caught on, but the smaller businesses haven't? Well, I, I would say this. China is a, a higher percentage of retail spend and consumer spend is in e-commerce in China than the United States. It's a more e-commerce-oriented uh, retail market. And most people explain that by noting that China just doesn't have the shopping mall density of the United States. It doesn't have the car ownership density. So e-commerce becomes an easier way for a lot of people to shop. In China, it is skewed toward female consumers and skewed toward younger and, and more affluent consumers. I don't think any of that's a surprise. But you're really hitting a sweet spot of women between the age 20 and 40. But we sell a range of products for, for men and and people outside of that sweet spot as well. But I'm saying it's it's very uh, much oriented toward the younger, trendier consumer. I see. Yeah, because it's interesting that I guess they just skipped the whole mall model, right? Whereas the U.S., kind of like the 80s, 90s, early 2000s, you still had malls, but now they're kind of gradually dying. So You're right. That in, in China, they never had the mall build-out that uh, we had in the United States, so never had that kind of hold on people's attention. And, uh, and you can more safely... Uh, if you will, or more readily, uh, just surf from from your laptop and click around and buy a nice gift or buy something for yourself. Right, and so, just to wrap things up, uh, you know, where can we find you online if we want to find out more about importing into China? Please, our webpage is exportnow.com. Just one word, exportnow.com, and it's got our contact information. We have a, a sales team and export advisors and so forth in the United States. I'm very happy to talk to you, and I'm happy to get on the phone and. Skype you and chat as well. And we're saying any any retail product or consumer product in the United States that is enjoying success in e-commerce uh, ought to really think about trying to replicate that in China. We'd be just thrilled to have that discussion and to help take some more great products into the Chinese market. Mm-hmm. Awesome, awesome. All right, well, Frank, uh, thanks so much. I don't think I have any more questions, but if we certainly have more, our readers can go find you on the website. So thanks so much again for taking the time to do the call. Very, thank you for having us on. We look forward to talking to people at exportnow.com. Thanks much for this discussion. To get more information about running an online store, visit our website at buildmyonlinestore.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Build My Online Store Podcast.